All right. Our scripture lesson this morning uh, is from Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then in this way, says Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, uh, in the New Revised Standard Version, which I'm using, um, it's in a footnote here, the the rest of the prayer. Uh, There are some scholars who believe that uh, this part of the prayer got added on uh, a few centuries later. Um, Other Bibles just include it with uh, verse 13. I'm, I'm going to include it. Uh, because it's part of the prayer that I've always prayed, uh, and I think is very much from God, from the Spirit. Uh, for, the, for the kingdom uh, and the power and the glory are yours forever. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Have you heard of the prosperity gospel? Many of you heard of, of that and heard it talked about. And, um, it, it's been around for a while, uh, maybe 70, 80 years, maybe longer, I don't know. Um, some of the people identified with the so-called prosperity gospel, that message that focuses on, um, you know, if you just pray the right prayer, pray enough, or give enough money to the particular preacher who's preaching the prosperity gospel, you will be blessed. Uh, prosperity will come uh, to you. Now, there have been some disreputable types that uh, have been identified with this prosperity gospel movement, um, disreputable types that uh, basically wanted you to give them money, and if you give, it, give them enough money, they'll pray over a a, you know, a, a prayer cloth or something like that and send it to you and, you, you know, you'll be blessed. Uh, kind of magical sort of stuff. Uh, Reverend Ike was one who uh, was rather disreputable and a lot of people felt that he preyed upon poor people. Um, uh, Ken Copeland's one who's still around. He's been around for ages uh, and he's been discredited as well. And um, there have been a few others, but and then there were others that um, kind of gave a, a message of positive thinking, and they weren't so much into lining their own pockets. I mean, I'm sure they did well, but you know, they weren't so much out for their own wealth as they were trying to give a message that would help you to be blessed. A, kind of a power of positive thinking kind of deal. You know, uh, it wasn't really uh, focused on what. Jesus focuses on uh, the real gospel, but it, you know, some of it was probably good philosophy that helped people. Um, he's, what's his name? Uh, Joel Osteen is one who's around now, and um, I actually like him. Uh, I saw him on 60 Minutes. They did an interview with him, and I couldn't believe this skinny little guy can bench press 330 pounds. Can you believe that? I was really impressed. Um, and he did it on TV, you know, I mean, you see him doing it, yeah, I mean, he's really something. But anyway, he, um, you know, he, he's very positive, and, um, you know, I think is generally a little more 
real gospel-centered than some of the others uh, have been. Uh, you know, and, and I like him because my niece, uh, Rhonda, really likes him, and it kind of, he kind of brought her back into the, uh, the church and, and helped her to be more interested in uh, Christianity. So I, I like the guy, you know, but he gets identified with the prosperity gospel as well. Well, there was a book that came out a few years back called Prayer of Jabez uh, by Bruce Wilkinson, and that is identified with the prosperity gospel. I'd never heard of the Prayer of Jabez. I thought I'd read the whole Bible, but I, you know, I was embarrassed that I had never heard of the Prayer of Jabez until this guy wrote the book. And thankfully, a couple of weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and heard um, uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's one of the top Old Testament professors in, in the world, I mean, one of the top scholars in the world on Old Testament, and he admitted that he had never heard of the prayer of Jabez or didn't remember it uh, when that book came out, and he had to go back to Chronicles and, and read it for himself, because, it, you know, it's this little obscure prayer. Uh, I'll read it for you. It's in um, First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me, enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from hurt and harm. And God granted what he asked. And then there's nothing more about Jabez in the Bible. And it, just a little obscure prayer, kind of prayer most of us pray. It's not a bad prayer. Um, you know, most of us, frankly, have prayed, I know I have prayed prayers. I mean, it comes really natural to me to pray a prayer of, of uh, bless me, Lord, give me lots of stuff, increase my territory, I want lots of stuff, and don't make it too hard. No, not, let it not be painful. Amen. <laughs> Who doesn't pray that, you know? We didn't need Wilkerson to write a book about it, uh, but he, his book kind of focuses on um, the, the, almost the magical nature of the prayer, that if you uh, tape that prayer up on your... Um, uh, your mirror in, in your bathroom and you pray it enough, you know, that God will bless you because God wants to bless you. Anyway, it's, it's not a bad prayer, but it's not the best prayer. The best prayer is the one I just read. It is the way that Jesus taught us to pray. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very opposite prayer of the prayer of Jabez, frankly, and I'll point that out as we get to those parts of it which are very opposite from this very me-centered prayer of Jabez. It's found in the, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount really sums up his entire ministry, his entire proclamation of the way. We were called Christians, we're called people of the way before we were called Christians. What is the way? It's the way of God, the reign of God, the kingdom of God. Uh, and that's all summed up in the Sermon on the Mount. You find the Beatitudes there, you find the, um, the Lord's Prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount, and um, the Golden Rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is in you know, some of the most famous sayings of Jesus. All the, teach, uh, the teachings about forgiveness, not only our forgiveness, but our forgiveness from God, but how we are supposed to forgive others. Turning the other cheek. Uh, the, the way we're supposed to live. The way. People of the way. Okay, it's all outlined. And, and the summation of it all, of this 
kingdom proclamation of Jesus is in the Lord's Prayer as well. We're going to take a look at that now, line by line. This is the way Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, not my Father, but our Father. It's, it's different from the prayer of Jabez from the get-go. It's about how we are all in this together. It is not about me and you, Lord, just me and you, but it's about all of us as one, together, praying our Father. And, and, and it's intimate. Father, it's actually a mistranslation. It should be Daddy or Poppy. Uh, it's the familiar form, Abba. Uh, the familiar form of father. Uh, one a child would say, uh, like a child would say, Daddy. It's a very intimate way of expressing who God is. There are other places in the Bible, including in Jesus' teachings, where, where feminine imagery is used. Uh, motherly imagery is used to talk about God. But in this, in this case, it's father or daddy imagery talking about God. None of our images of God can totally contain the reality of God, of course. But God is our daddy. And so, on the one hand, God is intimate. Our daddy who brings us together as a family. But as the old rabbis would say, on the one hand, but then again, on the other hand. On the one hand, God is intimate, God is daddy. But then again, on the other hand, who art in heaven, he is distant, he is other, he is transcendent, he is imminent, daddy. Known in Jesus, most fully in Jesus, intimate with us, yet God is in heaven. And holy, holy be God's name. So holy that Matthew, who's writing this, calls God's kingdom the kingdom of heaven. Because Matthew, being a good Jew, knows that God's name is so holy that he, does not, he tries not to use God's, overuse God's name in his writing. So for, for Matthew, kingdom of, of God is kingdom of heaven. Everybody else in the New Testament calls it kingdom of God. Same kingdom, okay? Also... Uh, the name of God is Yahweh. Now, you actually can't say that word as it's written in the Old Testament uh, because it's written only with vowels. Uh, I mean, only with consonants. Vowels got added later on where you could say Yahweh or Jehovah, which is the name of God. Wherever you see Lord in the Old Testament, that's actually a translation of God's name. Uh, so wherever you see Lord, that's Yahweh. Later, you know, it was felt that it was okay to say God's name out loud, and so they put the, the vowels in there. But um, anyway, the point is, for Jesus, God is both intimate, Daddy, but yet in heaven, and holy, holy is God's name. On the one hand, but then again on the other hand. Now... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, one kingdom. I'm so pleased, so pleased 
that you know about Jubilee. It's one of the major themes in the Old Testament and, by the way, in the New Testament. It comes in and through Jesus' teachings, including uh, this prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's an unmistakable reference to the Jubilee. Um, the Jubilee is also uh, in Jesus' proclamation when he first starts his ministry, declaring the accept, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the Jubilee year. Uh, I'm not going to say much about Jubilee because you guys have a wonderful teacher of Jubilee here. I was just talking to Pam about it and she's preached about it and is planning on preaching about it some more. I think that's wonderful. You rarely hear Jubilee talked about uh, in white, middle, upper middle class churches. You hear it in African American churches or in poor Latino churches, but rarely do you hear it in, well, frankly, churches like this. But it's a major theme and it's a part of that theme of a vision of the peaceable kingdom where all are reconciled, all are brought together as one. That vision of the, of the, the heavenly banquet where all come together, where sins and debts are forgiven, uh, where the rich aren't able to keep getting richer and the poor keep, keep getting poor. That's not God's plan for life. Read the Jubilee. Read about the Jubilee. Uh, it is about us coming together in community as one. Peaceable kingdom in the Old Testament, shalom, jubilee, is all part of that vision of the kingdom of God, which is the central message of Jesus. Hear it again, central message of Jesus. Now you might say, I thought love was. Yes, you're right, because love is a central part of the kingdom of God. Central message of Jesus. Now, Paul talks about kingdom of God, but he also refers to the new creation. Same thing as the kingdom of God. Same thing as shalom. Same thing as the vision of jubilee all coming together as one. Central message of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, it's the heavenly banquet. Yes, it starts in heaven with God. But come, O Lord, with your kingdom on earth. It's not about pie in the sky when you die by and by, but it's primarily about what happens here on earth. God loves creation. God loves what happens here on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread is an important theme uh, throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. Um, this is a little different than uh, Prayer of Jabez. Prayer of Jabez is give me uh, more property, more stuff. Bless me with lots of stuff. Uh, this is saying uh, give us our daily sustenance. Daily bread. Bread is the basic, the basics. You know, it's not wealth. It's not give us a whole lot of bread for our storehouse. Give us our daily sustenance, O Lord. And it's bread that brings us together. Bread, of course, is the image for the brokenness of Jesus on the cross. The body of Christ given for us, which brings us together together. Uh, as one. Uh, 
And in the kingdom of God, bread is to be shared. Give us that bread that we may share it with one another. And that's the message here. Um, Late 50s, early 60s, you might remember a book called The Other America by Michael Harrington. It, it pointed out that there, were, there was extreme poverty in the United States, and we didn't know it. You know, people just didn't know. Uh, he came out with this book and revealed it, and uh, it started the so-called war on poverty, which we summarily lost because of other things we got involved in. But, you know, some good came out of that. Uh, but anyway, uh, Michael Harrington was a, a, a social theorist and critic. I heard him speak at Florida State University about 15, um, 16 years after he wrote the book. And, um, you know, he, it was a brilliant lecture, as I recall. But I don't remember anything he said except his last words. And they were, If we do not love each other, we will die. An angel came to a man in a dream, took him by the hand in the dream, took him down to the depths of hell. In hell was a banquet table, food all over the place. I mean, it was a great spread. In come the residents of hell, emaciated, sunken faces coming in like this. And he noticed that their elbows were locked. They could not bring their hands into their mouths because their elbows were locked. And they frantically grabbed for the food, trying to bring it in, but they could not. I told this story to a bunch of kids one time, and a kid said, why don't you just hold up like this? <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're in hell. They're stupid. I don't know. <laughs> Angel takes the man by the hand, takes him up to heaven. Same banquet table prepared in heaven. In come the residents of heaven, and they are obviously well-fed, happy, talking with one another, but he notices that their elbows, too, are locked. The difference is that they fed each other. If we do not love each other, we will die. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm sorry, Methodists. I know we've all prayed it trespasses all of our lives, but the Presbyterians got it right. Uh, it's debts. Uh, that's a better translation. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and it does come from the Jubilee. Forgive us our debts. It's an unmistakable reference to Jubilee. But it's more than just uh, forgiving people of their debts every 49 or the 50th year after 49 Sabbaths of years. It's more than just forgiving the debts and giving back whatever people have lost over a 50-year period. Um, it's much broader than that. Forgiveness is central to who God is. You know, I hate this, some of the theology that we hear these days that, that smacks of God was really not really a forgiving God until the cross. You know, that's bunk. That's just not true. It's the ultimate expression of God's forgiveness. But, uh, you know, God won with us through Jesus who dies and suffers with us, you know, and for us. Uh, but 
God has always been a forgiving God. God has always, in the Old Testament, God finds ways to show God's forgiveness and for us to celebrate it through, um, through festivals, through worship. God has always been a forgiving God. That is the essence of who God has always been. And we are, as God forgives us, none of us who deserve it, we are supposed to, as God has forgiven us, forgive others. Let me just say that resentment, and that's when you're not able to forgive, resentment is a cancer on the soul. You gotta let it go. You gotta forgive each other. Now, I always, whenever I mention forgiveness, I always have to add, um, there's a time and a place. If you're in an abusive relationship, while you're being abused is not the time to forgive. You need to get out. There'll be plenty of time later to worry about forgiveness. But if you are being abused, you get out and you turn that person in. I, I've heard of preachers who, um, in fact, there was one, I think a couple of weeks ago, they got in trouble. Uh, I think he was a head of the Baptist convention or something, I can't remember now, but uh, who got in trouble because there were tapes of sermons of his where he's telling abused women to stay in the relationship and to, uh, you know, just pray their way through the abuse. And, um, uh, you know, there's time for forgiveness later, not in the midst of being abused. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or the, the, it's actually literally the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, Jesus faced temptation, and we will too, okay? We face temptations of things that we know are wrong, you know. But the nature of temptation is that it's tempting. <laughs> and for Jesus, one who is without sin, he was tempted. But he was tempted by things that on the surface seem good and holy and kingdom-oriented. But it was not the kingdom of God that he was tempted to, but a different sort of kingdom. And by the way, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It is a kingdom that focuses on love and justice and peace, uh, the central uh, characteristic of one who is living out the kingdom is humility. It is opposite of the kingdom of Rome, the empire of Rome. And in fact, the, the teachings in the New Testament often use words that were used in the imperial cult of Rome. Uh, but use them in a topsy-turvy, upside-down way. Whereas Rome is about opulence and military might uh, and self-ingrandizement, the kingdom of God is about humility and love and self-sacrifice, you see. And um, to lead us not to, to temptation is to lead us not into that which we think might be good and right, like Jesus turned stone into bread. Well, you would think that would be a good thing, wouldn't you? Turning stone into bread to feed himself because he's hungry, he's out in the wilderness, but also stones, plural, into bread. That brings to mind turning stone into bread that'll feed the masses. 
on the surface, that sounds like a good and, and kingdom-like thing. But yet, it would be treating people like the poor, like cattle. You know, just doing this miracle to feed the masses. Uh, but the masses need to be feeding each other, coming together in community as one, you see. And so Jesus faced that temptation and, and uh, was able to see it for what it was. You see, Satan is the father of lies. That's how he's described in the Bible, the father of lies. And Satan will bring on lies to us. You know, when, when I think I'm better than you, when, when I think I'm better than a, a Central American mother and father, uh, and their child, you know, just trying to find a better life and escaping violence to come to this country. When I, when I think I'm better than Jeff Sessions. <laughs> you know, that's a, you know, we need to have some humility about us. We're not better than others. God wants us to resist that temptation and come together as one and not be so judgmental of one another. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It's thy kingdom, Lord, not mine, not prayer of Jabez of, you know, I want more and more in my kingdom house, um, but rather it's thy kingdom, a kingdom which brings us all together in love and in justice and in peace with one another. That's the vision of God's king kingdom, thy kingdom, and the power and the glory uh, now, we Americans say, oh, finally, he gets to it. Really, you know, the, the real stuff. Power and glory, that's what we're into. But the power and glory, those are Roman words. Those are part of the kingdom of Rome. Power and glory. But they're used in an upside-down way by Jesus and by the New Testament writers. Power and glory for us is power and glory that's manifest in humility, and love, and justice, and peace. That's where we find power and glory. Power and glory, your power and glory, kingdom power and glory, Lord, forever. Let it be so. Amen.